what's up everybody it's jd from the craft and i think this may be my first podcast on this station what i mean by this station for most of you who probably don't know i started a new podcast called underrated and it's already two episodes deep so good start for 2018 but merry christmas and happy new years to those i have not said so Set two, or haven't heard from me. Early in the morning, going to get my oil changed. It's uh, about 3,000 miles over its due limit. That's a big no bueno. Well, what I want to talk today, I want to talk to y'all about the question that I got on my craft uh, Instagram. And once again, if you haven't done so already, head over to Instagram. The craft.tv. The craft.tv is on Instagram username. So the question I get or I got, I don't think I'm allowed to say this person's name. I think I, yep, yeah, we discussed that already. I asked him, am I, can I have, can I announce your username from the Instagram on my podcast? This person said no. It's a private private profile, the person looks like they don't like a lot of attention, but it was just a curious question, but I, nothing stops me from answering the question on my podcast, I answer the question in uh, direct message on Instagram, it's a lot easier here on the podcast because I can just verbally say it instead of just having to cut corners and hate texting, um, I have a big thumb issues, so when I text on my phone, I screw up all the time. Many of you probably already know on my Instagram how a lot of typos, I have a lot of typos on my Instagram, and uh, having dyslexia doesn't really help either, but, so yeah, let me answer the question. In my way of doing it, how do you make wrong from the very, very, very get-go? This is probably going to be a three, possibly four segment of, you know, recording. Anchor only gives us five minutes. I'm already two minutes and 40 seconds in of talking absolute dookie. So, I'm going to hit the stop button and continue fresh. All right. Don't know what that was about. I just hit rum and the search bar and I got that song. Alright. <clears throat> Without further ado, so how do we make rum? Anybody curious? Any hands? Show hands? Oh, there's one guy back there. Oh, he doesn't count. He's my brother. Anyways, <clears throat> so how do you make rum? You start with the sugar cane. Uh, a lot of people say that sugar cane where you get your sugar from is not important. I feel that is very, very important. Uh, the, the more, the better the sugar is harvested and grown, the better your mash is going to be. And I say pick them from the richest parts of the world. The Caribbean normally grows the best sugar cane, in my opinion. And you can get them either in Puerto Rico, in Cuba. Any of any parts of the Caribbean, there are other parts of the world that has sugarcane, and uh, you know that you can get them from. But 
I'm sure they're fi- it's fine to use a sugar cane on the other side of the world, but the only problem is the shipping. If you live on this side of the world and shipping a bunch of sugar cane from the other side of the world, it might be costing. So at a business standpoint, I wouldn't do that, but it starts with the sugar cane. A lot of craft distilleries in this area where I live in Wisconsin, when they distill rum, they make their mash out of just already made molasses or they just have basically a a pre-mixed mash already in in, in process and without the yeast obviously but I'll get to that later so what I would do is uh, or what I I, I do is I go to a company in a Caribbean it's not that that expensive it is a little bit but not that expensive to ship fresh sugarcane over to Wisconsin so as I contact the company from, from the Caribbean, they send me batches of sugarcane. The good thing about sugarcane is you can cut them up in little pieces, put them in a box, and it would be fresh for about a, maybe a few days to a week. And I don't mean like fresh, fresh, but at the same time, this is the way the process it does in Bacardi. Bacardi picks their sugarcane they don't process they don't they don't process their sugar cane for almost a little bit a week after so to be honest there's no such thing as fresh out the out the uh the cut of the harvest um very very rarely you see companies cut and just go straight to the to the manufacturer to get for the sugar cane to be processed uh there's a few jamaican companies that do it i think one cuban company that does it they literally just cut on the truck straight to the straight to the grinder, and then they process the sugar cane almost same day. I've seen it as as far as two days in, but almost the same day, depending on the work schedule. So as soon as you get your sugar cane, you have to go through a process. You have to grind the sugar cane. You got to uh, basically kind of like. I don't want to call it mashing because it's uh, mashing is another term and making making rum or liquor and uh, spirits in general. But there's a process of basically squeezing and then putting. There's certain liquids we put into. I don't want to get into detail, but there's certain liquids we put into the sugar cane, and we kind of like squash the canes as all this sugar. Uh, sugarcane juice comes out once you get all the sugarcane out of the sugar sugarcane all the sugar out of the sugarcane you whatever wherever pot you put it in wherever whatever you have it in you either 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 goes into a boiler already or they take it and they put it in the boiler and the boiler basically is the part where you make molasses you you boil it to a certain temperature and you cook it until it becomes this very black substance and if you don't know what molasses looks like it's it looks very disgusting at first for me it's beautiful but for some people it's disgusting at first uh, i would google it to see what molasses you can buy it on your local uh, grocery store so once you cook your sugar juices and your sugar and you make it into molasses. Uh, 
Well, there's different processes, and I'm just going to go through one process. There's different ways. You don't have to have a molasses uh, to actually do your mash. Uh, some people may disagree with me highly, but I've made rum without making it into a molasses. So that's just me. It's, it's been successful and proven, so uh, fuck you, basically. <laughs> um... But I'm going to do it the traditional way. A lot of companies do it this way, so I'm going to respect that. I'm going to call it the way it's going to be through molasses. So once you get your molasses, you're going to put your molasses into a, a fermenting tank. A fermenting tank is typically um, a pretty much sealed tank. It could be plastic. It could be almost any material as long as it doesn't uh, it doesn't have any pores to it. Um, you put your molasses, uh, and, and just to be, you know, trying to multitask here, making, making spirits, it just has to, it has to be some sort of sugar, not all the time, but the majority has to be some sort of sugar from a different, whatever it could be, potatoes, it could be from agave, uh, it could be from, uh, wheat, uh, you know, any, basically anything that has a, try not to, fuck this one up, I forget the, the name, anything that has, it's, it's not, it's not sweet necessarily, but I think it's, uh, a substance that's related to sugar, I think it may be, uh, I, I, I don't know at, the, at this point in my, I don't do other, other spirits, but I don't know at this point, but it has, it's, it's I'm, I'm, I'm going to just throw a word out there, it might be a carbohydrate, Anything that you know when you when you eat sugar, and your body your body processes it into a carbohydrate, um, it's something in that that realm. But it doesn't have to be just sugar. Sugar is just specifically for rum and from other other stuff too. But majority is just rum. So once you put your molasses into the, the mash into the ferment tank, it's called your mash. Uh, you can add other stuff to it, uh, other types of sugars. Um, I, I've seen people put other stuff in there. I, I, I do it myself. But then the most important part of the process of fermenting, once you have everything in your fermenting tank, is what kind of yeast you're going to use. I don't want to get into that either. That could be another question on its own. But the yeast is very important. What kind do you use? Uh, I know for a fact that Bacardi has a very unique yeast strain uh, under lock and key. Nobody knows it but like four people in the whole entire world. And as soon as that person dies, they just train somebody else. And it goes, there's very intense training that goes behind it and trust and background check. So far, Bacardi over 150 years running strong uh, has trusted their, their secrets with very few people in the history of Bacardi. But picking out your yeast is very important because the yeast is what determines how how much sugar is produced or how much alcohol is produced. I'm sorry. So once you put your yeast in there, you gotta you gotta regulate it and you have to monitor your yeast, make sure the temperatures are correct, so your yeasts are not either overcooked and they don't die. Remember, yeast is basically a living organism that goes into your mash and what yeast does for yeast to grow. It uh, and produce alcohol. It has to be at a perfect temperature. It can't be too cold because then your yeast goes dormant, 
and it can't be too hot because then your yeast will die. It won't produce any alcohol. So I'm gonna cut it short here. I'm already running my five minutes, but the next segment is gonna be on what does the yeast do? And it might surprise you. Fairly disgusting in, in some people's opinion, but it's awesome in mine. All right, we left off with what does yeast do once you put them in the ferment tank? What do these little bastards do as soon as you put them in the tank? Well, really easy. Once you take the yeast and you put it into the ferment tank, the yeast tend to duplicate an ore and they eat all the sugar, literally eat. This is what they do. They go into and they eat sugar, they digest it and they shit it out literally they shit the stuff out and why are they shitting out it's alcohol or basically they're farting all over your fucking tank that's what they're doing how you know how you eat bad chinese food and it's just a funky ass smell and sometimes you don't even shit like it's just it's just a fart phase and you're just farting your ass off you must have ate asparagus bad asparagus or something well Technically, you're producing some sort of alcohol, not necessarily called alcohol, but some sort of gas that you're producing. If you were to collect that, you'd probably have some sort of effect negatively or positively. I don't know. I haven't collected my farts. So anyways, these little yeast yeast monsters... They're eating up your alcohol. They're eating up your alcohol. Just eating, eating, eating. At the same time, they're 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 kind of breeding in a way where they're they're multiplying. But we can control that because we don't want to multiply a lot. You don't want to you don't want to have a shit ton of yeast. The reason why is because eventually your mash can go bad. So you want to regulate that through temperature. So what you do is you regulate this temperature. Make sure that. There's and by the way, there is a substance that the while they're making alcohol, there is a it is very dangerous. You have to be in a well ventilated area because there is a substance that the yeast be producing that if you were to put your face in a in a ferment tank, you would pass out because it's sucking a lot of oxygen. And and also they're they're producing other types of gases. Uh, once again, they're just farting and shit and farting and shit. So once all the yeast, they, you know, they ate up all the sugar, they don't necessarily die. They just go into a dormant stage. And what you do is once you know, whoever is your, your fermenter, whoever's there in charge will know when everything is, is, uh, it's ready to go. And once they once they're all done the person takes the ferment tank and dumps it into the bottom of a still it could be a copper pot still it could be a column still whatever still you guys have they put it in the bottom and in the bottom of the still we either have electric coils to heat up or gas to fire up or some people do coal some people do wood fires I think that's pretty cool when you're going into a, a distillery and they have a bunch of wood just burning on the bottom of uh, a copper pot or or whatever still they use. And 
once everything is in there, do you heat up the bottom of a still? The still heats up, uh, the, the, the mash begins to boil again, and obviously the yeast start to die. Whatever living yeast is in there, they start to die. And the way it works is that water evaporates at a different temperature than alcohol. So what happens is, while you have it at a certain temperature, I'm not, I don't want to get into those details either. When you have it at a temperature, you start to get different gases that rise up along the copper or column still onto plates and so forth. And since since water basically evaporates at a certain temperature, the alcohol goes up as a gas and it cools on on one of the lines and basically condensation forms and then it turns into a liquid state from gas to liquid liquid state and then it collects this is actually a lot more complicated than it is i just want to go through the nice version and not spend 20 hours trying to do this so once you collect all of your liquids there are different stages of that liquid and what do i mean by that uh, the first, the first batch that you're going to collect is that it's actually one of the most dangerous liquids you're going to collect and you would, you're not going to be able to consume this. Actually, it's basically poison. So a lot of people who are first time distillers have to, have to study this and research first because there has been cases where people think that the very first liquids that come out of the still is actual alcohol which is true but it's a different form of alcohol and unfortunately it's very fatal you drink this and basically you will die within a few hours i've seen people get poisoned because of this first stage and i would like to get i'm gonna i'm gonna probably do a podcast that gets more in detail of what these stages are like the heads the tails you know um so once once you collect once you dispose of the first first parts of the proportion of the alcohol that's being distilled you then after that once you once you verify it's clean alcohol you know high high proof alcohol then you start collecting your alcohol and you keep doing this until it depends how many times you want to redistill the alcohol because there's people that uh, redistill it two three four five times some people just do it once and after you distill it you collect it and you start to process all over again some people uh, reuse the mash they just take they take the mash they put it back in the tank and add new new sugar to it um, some people don't some people add different elements to the actual actual process of the mash there's different ways to do it. It really comes to your taste and what you really want to do with your alcohol. But normally after this, you have two options. We're going back to your finished product. When you finish your product and you collected all your alcohol, now you have is what we call the white rum. A white base. Uh, a base rum. A lot of people ask this question and say, well, how do you get the rum to look so golden or brown or, you know, uh, caramel looking color well that's that's another process called aging some people 
will have their rum look a little bit slightly tinted because they add some some sort of a flavor to their base rum and that gives it a nice tint to it uh, in my case i'm doing a lot of flavored rum so a lot of my flavored rum kind of like malibu rum uh it's it's white based rum with some added flavoring to it that will give it a dark tint color sometimes a brownish color sometimes no none at all some sometimes these flavors are just transparent as the base rum and the way you get it to a stage of golden brown or dark brown or black um is called aging this is where we take the rum and we put it in old used whiskey oak white oak barrels and yeah you understood correctly you're going to be using used whiskey white oak barrels uh, don't recommend using any other type of barrel I don't recommend using when I mean any type like just just use white oak I don't you know there's people that take brand new oak barrels and they just uh, put their rum in there which is not the wrong thing to do but the flavor is so much different I, and I've, I've witnessed this and tasted it myself so I'm not saying what you're doing is wrong if you decide to, to, to make your own barrels and, and char it and, and do everything you need to do with it then you you can do that it just tastes different maybe you're going for that taste and that's totally fine with you know as you could do that but these, these, the only thing about white oak barrels that are not used is that you're kind of going through a whole process of if you buy barrels, are your barrels already charred? Uh, charred is basically a process that they burn the inside of the barrel. So if you're, if you're making these on your own, you're going through making them, sealing them, charring them, and the whole spiel. All right, so after you actually put your rum into the rum or whiskey barrels, then you age it for minimum at least six months. Um, I don't think anybody's ever put a rum in their in their barrels for a month and that's it. It's just first of all, it's just a waste of time, uh, labor and money and whatnot. But also, it doesn't you don't really capture the flavor of the wood, and that's what it is. You're capturing the flavor of the oak white oak wood. And um, another process, I forgot to add, add this, but another process before putting them in there is the filtering. Uh, people filter through charcoal, charcoal filtering, and that gives it a different taste and also it purifies more the, the alcohol. Um, but people do that too. Some people go straight to the barrel. Um, it's a different way of how you experiment. I do it always, like all different ways. Like I don't, I don't do have a specific way of doing it. But once you once you age your rum, um, you wanna you wanna mark your barrels and mark what's in there, how many times it was distilled, when it was distilled, the date, how long the date of when you first put it in the barrel. Um, and the reason why you want to do this because there's a guy called the master blender. He's the one that kind of like babies these these barrels and he watches them. And what he does is he goes and looks and see how how well they're aging. He put he do, you know he he tips his his stick in there and he, he tastes the rum as it ages along the uh, the way. So if you have a six month old barrel but then you have a three year old barrel and a five year old barrel and a 10 year old barrel and different ages, 
the master blender goes around and he starts to create his different blends and that's where you get your final product and say the guy says i want this this barrel this barrel this barrel they take him out he starts blending together for their for his his preferred taste and then once that is that barrel that the combination is cured or you know finally decided what what he's going to mix with normally when you have barrels you want to batch them in in large groups so you're you can have a large batch so if the guy says i want all of these six months all of these years and all these year and a half or basically do they they tag them and they they name the tags they take all three four how many barrels he wants and then they take them all out of circles just the the system and they put them all together as the master blender uh requested the laborers they they go and they take all the barrels they start putting the they start blending it massively as the actual master blender requested and then then you have you put them in bottles and you know there's other types of process afterwards maybe not people put more flavoring at the at the end of the process and then you bottle label it and then you label it to what you want it to be say this is a whatever specific blend of five years typically you take the oldest barrel in the group and you put five year and eight year and so forth uh and i do want to say that there are different so many different ways to do this i'm only showing you little specific ways um a lot of people out there unfortunately are very ignorant to the fact that they may take a part a portion of their knowledge of making rum and say whoa jd that's totally wrong what you just said is is everything i said has been done already through other companies especially bacardi and i've done it myself successfully produced rum to the taste where people they people have tasted it and it's been approved by you know fda and what whatnot um so I, I'm doing. I'm telling you this of stuff that's already been proven and, and done. And there's so many different ways. There's not actually a right way to do it, but there are some wrong ways to do it. And once you uh, once you bottle up everything and you ship it out to your customer or the, to the distributor, the distributor goes to the store. The store goes to you, unless you're going through an online store and it goes directly from the company, which rarely happens. And a lot of craft distilleries are doing that. Um, buying, you can buy them off their website. So, if anybody has any questions, if uh, you guys are interested in knowing what else is in the process or different ways of processing it, or a specific, like basically, like the yeast, so why is yeast so important? Then I'll be more, more than happy just to do an episode of that, just yeast and so forth. Thank you for listening. This is JD from the Craft, and soon I'll be back. Bye.